Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. From Barangaroo Studios, the AusBiz COV is the key stuff you need to know about the day in business and finance. Welcome to the COB podcast from AusBiz. Uh, on this Friday afternoon, I'm Gemma Acton, joined by Scotty. And we're just winding up what has been another reasonably good week for Aussie shares. Last week was very impressive, uh, five days in a row of consecutive gains. This week, little weakness here and there, but on the whole, moving in a pretty positive direction. Yes, it's a little bit of a wobble today, but that's uh, not too bad considering what we're seeing over in the United States and Europe and the price action there. But uh, yeah, seven, uh, seven week closing highs uh, yesterday. But uh, you, you mentioned wine at this, I thought winding, and I was like, well, I thought you were winding a Friday afternoon or all, but uh, oh, we'll, ma- there. We'll, we'll, we'll be there soon enough. <laughs> well, we certainly will. Um, I, I, one of the events this week which stood out to me was the Commonwealth Bank AGM. I don't know how closely you followed that, but uh, you know, there's still pushback going on against executive pay. Um, when we consider what Matt Common, the chief executive, is paid this year just under $4 million. Sounds like a lot of money. I mean, I think he has a pretty tough job to do. But if we wind back to 2016, his predecessor, under whom many of the problems brought up in the Royal Commission occurred, was sitting pretty comfortably on over $12 million. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, Matt Common is uh, one of the least paid of the uh, the bank, uh, bank bosses. And uh, look, uh, all things in, in perspective, like, it's a lot of money and no one's uh, disputing that. But uh, it is a massive company as well, and I uh, know tens of thousands of workers, you know, millions of customers, and the like. So there is a lot of responsibility there, and the buck stops with uh, with, with the chief executive uh, and the board, of course. So you've got to pay uh, consummate to what the responsibilities are. Uh, and in all things being equal, you look at some of the uh, the other companies out there, and what other executive levels are getting paid. Uh, I think it's very a uh, bit rich to go and just target banks in this instance. Yeah, and I, and I do think that this year has been a really tough job to do. You know, like it, it is stressful. I'm sure his hours are uh, horrendous. Uh, I can't imagine what hours he's working. But uh, yeah, no, it, it was interesting to me that there was such a big protest vote, I think almost 22%, um, when actually I think on the whole people are pretty pleased with how CBA has done, you know, navigated this pretty awful period quite well. Yeah, well, certainly when it comes to the analyst community that we go and speak to, uh, nine out of 10 always recommend CBA being the, uh, the place that they'd rather be in the other uh, big four banking space. So uh, that's any, uh, any mark that uh, surely uh, probably justifies the salary. But of course, you know, with the big salaries come big responsibilities. And as I said before, uh, you've got to go and take that into consideration. There's a lot of other people out there, a lot of other executives who get paid far more than what Matt Cummins does. Um, speaking of what's happening at the top of organizations couldn't go past virgin yesterday interesting story there uh with uh i don't think anyone's that shocked that uh bain went with what it clearly wanted to do from day one and and replace paul scaro with jane herdlicker but the speed at which they did it was was perhaps a, a little graceless it feels that a you know, they could have at least waited another a month or until Christmas or so, but uh, no, c- clearly keen to get on with things. 
Clearly couldn't get on with you. I actually got a really funny story. Go on. So um, after what happened with, uh, with poor Scarra yesterday, I came home and I uh, decided to go and check my uh, mailbox and opened it up and uh, there was uh, my frequent flyer platinum card uh, renewal for the next year and it was signed by Paul Scarra saying like oh no we, we really are no looking forward to having you uh, I know back as a, a platinum experience and I was thinking well you're no longer the chief executive and there's no guarantee that the airline will be uh, uh, actually a full service airline in the future so uh, I'm looking forward to having that card whether I actually get to go use it uh, and go visit one of the lounges and, uh, and experience the service uh, we'll find out but I thought that was quite funny on that day uh, that that was the uh, perfect the, timing. The, yeah, exactly right. <laughs> I, I must admit, I was one. Of, I, I tend to fly Virgin. I was one of those people who panicked in March and cashed out all my frequent flyer points. I have a, a kitchen full of Smeg appliances now. The toaster, the kettle, coffee maker, all sorts of things I would probably never use. But I, I was a bit worried they were going to be worthless. Yes, uh, maybe I should have gone and taken up that <laughs> offer as well. But uh, I've got my shiny black car, so that's all that matters, right? <laughs> probably, probably is. Uh, looking at what's happening in the market today, can't take my eyes off Aussie broadband. Now, we, um, we chatted to the head of that earlier today, Philip Britt, and um, he was felt bad dragging him away from his screen, obviously glued to it. And at certain points today, the share price was up uh, 122% was the last time I saw it, heavily oversubscribed. Um, and interesting given how much focus there has been on broadband recently with uh, the government deciding after all this time to recommit to the NBN. Yeah, it um, just shows you anything that's involved with, uh, with technology, uh, internet, uh, online space is getting absolutely gobbled up and uh, there is so much demand. Of course, it's basically you're punting on whether the trajectory that we've seen over the past six months is going to be extended uh, over the longer term. There's no certainty about that, but so the, the tailwinds that we've seen from this pandemic uh, and the demand that we've seen for online resources and to broadband and streaming services and the like, there's no question that uh, it has been a really strong force and will continue to be so for quite some time yet. Yeah, and one of the interesting things we were chatting about was uh, their partnership with Fetch, so moving into the entertainment space, so just um, that potential for non-traditional players to dominate uh, the entertainment that we get straight into our homes. There's so much potential there and, and it'll be so interesting to see how the space, our space, you know, the television space um, develops, you know, in, in the coming years. Yes, whether our TV, as it existed uh, in its current form, we question, like we see, we're on a streaming service here, of course, exactly. today at Oscars. So uh, it seems to be the way of the future, you know, content on demand. So uh, I know it'd be very interesting to see where, you know, where the demand comes from for products like this. Uh, you can definitely see the, uh, the potential for it become a lot more larger. Uh, now, another online tech company, which uh, we've been chatting about today, is our stock of the day, and that's QuickFee. Let's have a listen to what Henry Jennings from Marcus Today thinks about that stock. Um, people send out physical bills, and then people write a cheque and put them in a, an envelope and then send them back. Well, at least some of them do. Um, not enough of them do, I suspect. And what these guys have said is that um, you know, electronic invoicing gets electronic payments. And this is what these guys are all about, electronic payments for lawyers, accountants, mm -hmm. and the buy now, pay later of this side of things, which does seem to be a massive opportunity. I looked at the, uh, the number of legal actions that the, the average Californian is involved in. It's astonishing. They might as well have a, a lawyer on tap. <laughs> so there, there's clearly a big market, and this is where they're going, is the US, and they've raised this money. I, I think around 50 cents, 51 cents, it is a buy, uh, probably uh, a weaker buy at these levels. I really like this business. It's an interesting one as far as that it has the ability to have a lot of growth, but it just feels like the market's not giving it what it's probably potentially uh, can have. And yeah, you can see that sort of share price starting to languish a little bit. 
So look, I think it's a good deal. I think uh, putting more money in the coffers is is good, and I suspect they're probably going to do some acquisitions over the next coming couple of months. So it's a buy from me. And that was Adam Dawes from Shoreham Partners to, to finish that off. And looks like both of them gave it a big thumbs up. So that'll be going straight into our Ausbiz portfolio. It looks like it. So a long trade initiated there. And so I've got to say, I also just had it, uh, didn't have, wasn't watching the program, but I could have it on the, uh, the background. And it seemed that uh, Henry and Adam would end up buying mood today. They were, they were agreeing on most things, uh, bidding everything up. So a lot of optimism <laughs> out there after the market hit seven, uh, seven month highs yesterday. But uh, we're getting ahead of ourselves, Scotty. You know, like I, I, I feel good. I look at Melbourne, I'm, you know, Victoria, well done to everyone down there, getting down to two cases, had a great week, you know, six cases another day, no deaths today. New South Wales keeping things under double digits, the other states also doing extremely well. But then I stop and I look further afield and Europe's just a disaster, isn't it? You know, Germany back up to April levels, France going back under curfew, uh, the UK, I spoke to some friends there earlier this week, they're all expecting to go down into some form of lockdown uh, imminently. Uh, you know, are we just getting a bit ahead of ourselves? Yeah, well, look, uh, some of the market pricing you might suspect, so in the equity space in particular, and you could probably go and add the United States into that list, but just a little bit uh, more delayed uh, reaction to, uh, to what's going to the virus case to what we're seeing in Europe. But you're right, the, uh, the case numbers out of Europe are terrible. Part of that reflects that there's increased testing, but part of it understandably reflects that it's getting colder. And we know that this virus is much more prevalent, virulent when it's uh, colder temperatures. And uh, whilst the death toll uh, hasn't been uh, you know, creeping up uh, by any dramatic space uh, at this stage, you do have to wonder about what's going on with hospital admissions and the like. We know that we can treat it better, but uh, surely given the risk of livelihood as well, uh, the, the greater these numbers become, the greater the risk that we're going to see widespread lockdowns again. And where that leads, economic conditions and the like, we can at least corporate earnings, uh, there's so much uncertainty already out there. Uh, whether that can go and offset, uh, be offset by central banks and the like and liquidity, uh, well, I've got a feeling that we might find out. Yeah, and not just um, on the monetary policy side, but also on the fiscal policy side. I and mean, clearly that's what's been propping everything up. But, but you know, do we, do we still think it's limitless? Or, you know, does there come some point where governments, similar to our own, actually just try and pull a really quick fiscal tightening? Yeah, well, well certainly, hopefully no fiscal tightening's on the way. But uh, you do wonder, you know, there's back and forth games in the United States, like... What a, what a farce it is between mm. the Democrats and the Republicans. There's no other way to describe it. Like it is, it's been treated a bunch of game. Like we're talking you know, tens of millions of Americans who are gonna be really battling in the not distant future. And uh, this doesn't seem to be any care whatsoever. And like, it just makes me think from an investment perspective, uh, given what we're seeing over in the US, given the uncertainty about the election, given what's going on with the health side of things in Europe, it's like, you no, know, why would you want to be invested there given the level of asset prices that we're seeing pumped up you know, with all these stimulus payments? And you know, it makes me wonder, like, you know, as a better part of the world, and for the time being, we're part of it as well, the Asia is uh, looking a lot, a lot better. The data out here is looking a lot more solid particularly in the likes of China and the, you look what's going on there. We saw a lot of data out this week. We saw lending data out uh, overnight as well. Pretty punchy increases. Uh, we're seeing that uh, no trade data imports very strong as well. So it all seems to be working from a, a pretty good perspective in Asia. And uh, for the time being, like no, when you look around the rest of the world, uh, it, there's probably a pretty easy choice to go and make when it comes to be where to be invested. Yeah. Um, speaking of Asian, Monday we've got China GDP, uh, retail sales, and jobless rate out. So more more interesting data next week. And while we talk about Asia, a story which you sent around today earlier, Dave, which I, I really loved if I've interpreted it correctly, Fujifilm 
um, applying for COVID-19 treatment uh, approval. And could you imagine if a, if a photography company comes to our rescue? Talk about a pivot. Well, we'll take it. Um, we, of course, we, know what, we knew what was going on with Kodak uh, and uh, all the trials and tribulations, mostly uh, trials uh, that came about from that particular uh, Kodak instance. coin never quite took off when I thought, when I thought it was going to be the next Bitcoin. Yeah, and Kodak's uh, you know, being awarded government funding because of the chemical side to go and uh, be able to go and treat COVID uh, and the like. You know, there's obviously a lot of uh, no, no, very uh, non-opaque uh, dealings that went on between the government and the funding for that. But uh, no, Fujifilm in, uh, in Japan, uh, some statistically significant results. I haven't had a chance to go into them too much in detail. And uh, look, I'm not a scientist by any stretch, but it sounded pretty positive. So we're going to keep a track on that. When this race for a vaccine, I think it's much more likely we find a really effective treatment, how to go and, and deal with COVID. Mm. And then that will be the one that really allows us to go into the circuit breaker and get back on track. You know, something like a drug that will go and uh, help uh, reduce the symptoms and, uh, and hopefully reduce the mortality rate as well. Mm, yeah, to help, help people live with it over time. And what else have you got your eye on for next week? We're uh, brushing up against the, the weekend. So once we've all had a chance to relax, uh, what, 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 are you, what are you looking at? Yeah, really good uh, question. There's, there's not a whole bunch out uh, really domestically next week. So we're going to be getting stuck into the AGM season. So mm. we'll get a pretty good insight into the health of, of corporate Australia. So that to me will be something really interesting to go find out. We've got uh, obviously US earnings season as well out. Uh, but realistically, when you look at what the, uh, the key things are at the moment, it's going to be US politics again, and it's going to be coronavirus. To me, uh, that's basically the overarching things that are going to continue to drive, uh, drive sentiment around at the moment. So you can understand why this week, no fiscal deal, the health outcomes are getting a bit worse. So you can understand why over the US and Europe, the, uh, there's been a few wobbles about. Uh, well, listen, it, it, uh, it sounds like we will have to keep both eyes closely focused on the US election though, because uh, as we've seen in the, in the month running up to that November the 3rd date, we've had all sorts of twists and turns that just a fortnight ago, we got Trump's COVID news and that uh, that you know, didn't didn't turn out to be as dramatic as, as, as we sort of expected. Yeah, remember, remember that Friday afternoon we were on air and we, Very went, well. we went just- It was uh, exactly was... now actually, just before, just before this time. Yeah, it was about, yeah, about two yeah. weeks ago. <laughs> uh, but uh, it was really interesting uh, what was going on and. Um, but yeah, like, could you imagine, like, no, where we're standing now, two weeks later, not only is Trump not COVID positive, not sick, but he's out doing town halls yeah. and all this kind of stuff. And but back... interestingly, hasn't hasn't turned it to his advantage, I thought, as much as he might have been able to. Yes, not not as yet. Uh, and I think it's a really, really bad thing for democracy that we didn't get another opportunity to go and have a debate. Uh, I know that there was one offer where it'd be virtual, but uh, that makes it a very different dynamic. But I think for the... Uh, for the ability to go and really judge candidates and hopefully not in a slangy match fashion that we saw in the mm. first one. Uh, it'd be really good to go and have a debate that's uninterrupted, let both candidates speak and then let the American people decide who they want to go and have as their president for the next four years. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's, that is for, for all the the fun commentary that came out of the first debate and, and the theatrics of it, obviously the sad thing is the fact that the policies got lost. Mm. Uh, I can name... I can name policies uh, mainly from from the Biden camp, but that's from other reading I've done. Whereas I'm still not very clear to me uh, what the leading policy platforms are for either side, which is certainly not the position we should be in. Absolutely. Well, with that, Scotty, I'm going to let you go and enjoy the rest of your weekend. Yeah, sounds very good. I'm looking forward to uh, going and getting amongst it and uh, having a couple of wines. So everyone out there, uh, make sure you have a great weekend, and uh, we'll uh, catch you here bright and early on Monday. See you next week. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.